This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and as you all know, I'm a small animal veterinarian and cat lover extraordinaire. So this series, the psychology or psychiatry of the cat, has been a lot of fun. I have Dr. Lisa Radosta, the board-certified and fear-free certified veterinary behaviorist who works with cats that specifically have some issues that have drawn them past their general practitioner and into her office. And I want to learn some things from her for all of you out there so you might recognize that you are having some of these problems and maybe correct these issues before you end up down the road with your cat. So we'll be right back with Dr. Lisa Radosta after a quick break. I've had blue fern Amazon parrots and cockatiels and finches and cats and a little Lhasa Apso, a Maltese, she's like 22, a yellow lab Floyd, a black lab Murphy. Murphy's coat, it's very, very shiny, like it sparkles in the sun. And I'm also a part-time dog trainer, so I will always endorse Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Why wait until your dog is shedding like a monster? Save your dog from the agony, the misery of being stinky and having hot spots and shedding and making sure that they have the proper nutrition. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa, the digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Get them started early. I mean, your dogs will love you for it. My dogs do puppy zoomies around the house. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite at D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. And Dr. Lisa Radosta, the board-certified veterinary behaviorist, is here with me. Hi, Dr. Radosta. Hey. I am so excited to pick up our conversation because I am in the trenches. I am in general practice, and I do see a lot of kitties with behavioral issues. And I think that you have some good advice to kind of tell everybody that's raising kittens or dealing with cats that seem basically healthy. But what comes to my mind that I see a lot is litter box problems. So, or a litter box problem. So, can we talk a little bit about what you know about inappropriate elimination? Absolutely. And elimination problems, I will tell you now, we use a different term. And and why would I talk about the terminology here in this podcast? Because I think it's going to lay the foundation for our understanding as pet parents of what our cats are going through and why they're doing this. We call this problem, at least we do on our service and many veterinary behaviors do, and you'll see it in textbooks now, behavioral periuria. Why don't we call it inappropriate elimination? And here's the first learning point for our pet parents today. It's not inappropriate. For the cat, there is a reason why, and it may be normal behavior for the cat. As soon as we think inappropriate, who is inappropriate to you as the pet parent probably? 
But for the cat, it probably is not inappropriate and it might be completely normal. So one of the top reasons that we see that kitties urinate outside of the litter box or defecate is going to be a problem with the box, location, size, substrate. I want you to make sure you have boxes that are one and a half times the length of your kitty. So usually that would be kitty from tip of his nose to end of his tail or one and a half times his body length. Okay, if you have a Manx cat, then obviously you can't measure the tail, so you're going to do the body length. And we need one more box than the number of kitties in the house. My one kitty has two litter boxes, and I went ahead and bought under-the-bed storage boxes and just threw the lids away. That's how big my litter boxes are. By limiting the space your cat has to urinate or defecate, you do several things. And when I say limiting the space, I mean buying a box that's smaller than what I just recommended. Things that you do are that you will cause the box to be dirtier more frequently. If you work like I do, and you work outside the home like I do, you physically cannot scoop the box every time it's used. Maybe you can scoop it three times a day, but there'll be a spot in the middle of the day where you're not home to scoop it. If your cat eliminates, urinates, and defecates during that time, the box will be dirty all day. If those two areas are in a box that is 24 by 18, that's a dirty box. And your cat has to then make a choice. Do I go in a dirty box? Or do I go on the bed, which is perfectly clean and happens to be very soft on my paws? A lot of cats choose the bed. If I have a very large box and my cat can urinate and defecate in this corner and then urinate later on that day in another corner, then I increase the likelihood my cat's going to return to that box. We want to think about making the boxes convenient. If you worked at a place where there was no bathroom in the building and your boss said to you, oh, yeah, we have bathrooms. You have to cross the street, four-lane highway. They're right over there. What's your problem? You go there, right? You might hold it. You might not go to the bathroom. You might find another way. That's what's happening with cats whose litter boxes are down in the unfinished, dark, gross basement, or they are in the laundry room underneath a little cubby. So we want to make it convenient. We want to have the right size. We want to make it easy for kitties. And in, in my house, we have a rule. If that cat is in the box, do not enter that room. I don't care. I don't care if you have to do laundry there. I don't care what you have to do. You can see people will walk into that room. And if, if Chewie's in the box, we all stop like, ah, he finishes, he walks out and we are able to go into the room. So we want to give him the ability to have a safe, clean, appropriate place to go to the bathroom. Just by doing that, you will eliminate about 50% of the kitties who are eliminating outside of the box just by changing the environment. And the second thing I have to say, because I'm a broken record, is get your cat to the veterinarian. Do not assume that there is nothing wrong with your kitty. Don't assume that it's all in his head just because he's been doing it for a year. Maybe he has a disease called idiopathic cystitis that does come and go. Maybe he has a urinary tract infection that's horrible. Maybe he has kidney disease. I don't know. But you want to make sure you get him to your vet before you assume that it's all in his head. So I tell guests that say things that I super duper agree with that um, that that makes the guests extra right. But <laughs> um, I love that you are changing the terminology of inappropriate elimination because it's always kind of bothered me. I didn't realize that 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 had started to happen. I think it's great because I think it's teaching our pet parents the wrong idea. I mean, we're expecting a cat to completely comply to being human, and they're never going to do that. So I love that you're changing that terminology. So I just want to tell you, I agree with you completely, and that makes you extra right. <laughs> Yay! 
I'm going to tell my husband and my daughter. That's Do you want me to tell them? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. So I think that people have assumptions. I actually saw a client this week that said, my cat is not using the box ever since my other cat passed away. And I think that he is grieving for my other cat. And that might be true, but I really, really, really wanted her to let me work that up because I felt like it could have been a coincidence and the the other older cat had an issue like what you mentioned. So so listeners, don't assume, don't humanize your cat and say, I think that this is what I would do because your cat is not you. Do you think that's reasonable advice, Dr. Adasta? That is reasonable advice. And I will go even, I mean, I'll go even farther with, you know, maybe I'm going to say, what would you do if it was you? So I took a medication for the first time ever. You know, as you get older, you get stuff, kind of stinks. But so I took a medication and I got fever, chills, body aches, joint pain. It was really, really horrible reaction. So I walked in the doctor's office and I said, well, I've had a reaction. And the doctor said, well, how do you know? There's no test for a reaction. How do you know you didn't have a GI bug? And I said, yes, mm-hmm, doctor. Intellectually, I know that is true because the only test for a medication reaction is to challenge with the medication. And that caused us to have a really good intellectual discussion about my health care. But the reason I bring that up is that you don't really know. You don't know. You think you know, but you don't know for sure until you've really investigated. And things happen at the same time. We know that just in our lives. Things happen at the same time. In other words, You might get sick and then you might also get in a car accident that day. But that doesn't mean you got in a car accident because you had the flu, right? So just thinking about things in a kind of scientific way, is it really 100% linked? One of my friends says, would you bet $100? If you wouldn't bet $100, then they're probably not really linked. So I just want you to think like a scientist when you link things together. And also be aware that when you noticed it, does not have to be when it started. It's when you noticed it, not when the cat started that behavior process. So it might not even be related to your other cat passing. You might have been so involved in the healthcare of this elderly kitty that you didn't see that the other cat was urinating behind the couch for six months, you know? So really, we have to be scientists. We have to. I agree. I mean, it might be that the other cat was grieving the first cat, but what if he also had a urinary tract infection or had some kidney disease or had diabetes? I just really, I really faced kind of an argument about that. But for my listeners today, we're going to educate you. So before you get to your veterinary hospital, you're going to hear what they're going to tell you and you're going to be ready and open to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. We we can't make, uh, we just can't make assumptions. And anybody who's been a veterinarian a long time, I'm going to get in that camp because 20 years to me feels like a long time. I will tell you, I think Dr. Prim would say too, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff that we just didn't expect. My good friend and I were talking the other day. He said that he saw a patient who was anemic and he's like, what the heck? What is going on with this dog? It's a healthy dog. He can't figure it out. Turns out the dog got into the garbage, I guess, a week before and ate an onion loaf. And so we've seen some weird stuff. And that makes us really want to seek out every little possible issue and turn over every stone. And we can't assume that things are correlated. We just can't. 
I agree with you completely. Yes, I have been doing this for a while, over 20 years, and still things happen. And I, I, in fact, just this week, something happened in surgery, and I told my technician, you know what, that, I've never seen that before. That's never happened to me before. And I've done surgery thousands of times. So, yes, we have learned through our experience, which is important, that things are not always as they seem. And so I encourage my pet parents to to not go into your veterinary hospital with a decision already made so that if the veterinarian tells you something different, you're prepared to argue. Maybe by the time they see you, Dr. Radosta, they're ready to listen. I don't know. I do want to say to you guys, and we're a little off topic, but I want you guys to hear that I personally, as a veterinarian, never mind, never, when you bring up a question, there is no stupid question. And as long as we're all civil and polite, there's no wrong question. Sometimes clients will apologize as if I'm like offended that they are questioning my judgment. I'm not offended. Let's talk about it because this is a team effort. And I had a client the other day and I was laying out all these options for her and her pet was really, really didn't need a medication, but I wanted to discuss all options. And she said, well, what about if we do it like this? And I said, you know what? I love that idea. I love making decisions with you. I said this to her just like that, where we talk about stuff and options and we decide together. So your veterinarian should be open to you saying, I went on Google and saw this. You might not get the answer you want. Your veterinarian might say, that's been debunked by these scientific studies, but we're not aggravated when you ask us. You're challenging us to be smart, to be up to date, and to be good communicators. And as long as everybody's polite and kind, I don't see any any problem with, with doing that with your professional. I agree. I like having conversations where the pet is the centerpiece and we all get to input what we think is best for the pet. And and then the pet is really the winner. And so, yes, I love that. I am. Hey, you're right again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a little off topic and I, I really want my listeners to, to take home some messages. Don't have a litter box that is too small for your cat. Is that a soapbox for you? Because it's a soapbox for me. It is a soapbox. And I think we have to help people understand I'm a marathon runner and anyone who competes in triathlons, marathons, bike races, whatever, you've gone to the bathroom in a portalette. And I'm just telling you that is not pleasurable at all. And that is what that space, that size is what we're supplying to our cats. We are supplying a box that is just big enough for them to turn around and we're not cleaning it. And that is disgusting. So yes, correct size box and clean it. And when people give me pushback, I'll, I'll talk to all of you cat pet parents right now who are saying I can't clean my box, but once every three days, I'm going to say then you shouldn't flush your toilet, but once every three days and your cat should last as long as you last, because I guarantee you won't last 24 hours in a toilet that's unflushed. You flush every time, clean every time out of courtesy for your kitty. Well, so as a person who doesn't run marathons and only <laughs> he runs when being chased by something very scary, <laughs> I do like to go to concerts, though, and I have experienced the bad bathroom syndrome. And so that kind of brings it home. Also, we talked about having a convenient box and I like to camp and hike and you often have to walk. I mean, you, obviously you can't eliminate near your campsite and you have to walk. And I'll tell you right now, I will hold it a long time in the middle of the night if it's cold. <laughs> 
So you're definitely right. So I went from saying don't humanize too much to saying I understand. So you said that you you respect your cat's space when he is using the box. So I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about on the other episode is is respecting your cat as an entity unto his or herself. So let's revisit that one more time. I really want that message to sink in. Yeah. And this is the way I speak to my pet parents. I feel like I'm speaking to my own pet parents in my exam room right now. And these are the words I use. I say, you know, I think we can all agree that every person has the right to say no. Everybody agrees. Every human being agrees that everybody has the right to say, no, you can't do that to me. Right. And then I tell them, we believe here The cats have the right to say no. That's novel, right? But if we do let them say no, in other words, really what you're doing is is you're giving them control of some part of their environment. If we let them do that, anxiety, aggression, and fear go down. And that is something we see in the literature with people as well, that anxious people truly have anxiety disorders, feel more comfortable when they can control the outcome or they have the perception of control over the outcome which makes perfect sense. And we see that in small mammals too, and dogs, cats, and rabbits, and and mice. And so we want to do that. It's hard for me as a pet parent to follow through on that because I just, I looked at my cat the other day and I just thought, you are so elegant, the way your face is shaped and then how the chest poofs out. And he balances all of that weight on these tiny little paws and the hair sticks out on the paw. Like He is delectable. And I would touch him 24-7. So it's hard. I get that it's hard. But we have to be respectful, especially if we want our cats to live their most joyful, happy, well life. Well, I think that that is an excellent place to end our discussion today with cats living their most happy, healthy, and excellent life. And everybody respecting other beings for who they are and what they need. And I also will add that I am a control freak. So I totally support that. And once again, you are completely right. I support that. <laughs> I am coming well, back to this podcast if I'm invited because I it find make it you feel a good? lot of affirmations here. I like it. Well, you are absolutely welcome anytime. This has been so much fun. And I, I know you're so busy. I thank you so much for joining me on Nine Lives with Dr. Cat today. Thank you. I had a great time. Now, I also want to thank my listeners for giving me your time and for caring enough to learn about how to make your cat happier and healthier with the things that I share with you here. Also, I can't forget my amazing producer, Mark Winter, because without him, there would be no show at all. So everyone, go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.